Good morning, brothers and sisters. And happy, and happy New Year. Happy New Year, well, all, almost. As we, as we look out on 2024, I want this particular beatitude that we're gonna talk about this morning to be at the forefront of all of our minds. If you've been with us over the course of the last few weeks, then we, we, we started our sermon series on, on Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, his first public teaching in the Gospel of Matthew, and a wonderful summary of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Now, much of the sermon is full of particular commands that remind us of who God is and what he's equipped us to do. But the sermon begins with what are called the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, etc. It begins with these descriptions telling us who the truly happy people in the world are. And each of these Beatitudes are counterintuitive. None of them are what we might expect. The poor and those who live in solidarity with them are often just viewed in their suffering. Those who mourn are often known just for their sadness. And as we're going to discuss today, those who hunger and thirst after righteousness are supposed to be known for what they want, what they eagerly desire. So realize that that means that these are a people who are known for what they don't have yet. We're very used to praising people for what they do have, but not so for this beatitude. And so let's, as we have and will for each of the beatitudes, stand and let's read it together. So please stand for the reading of God's word, Matthew 5, verse 6. And we're going to say this three times, three times together. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Again, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. One more time. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. The sermon today is titled, How Bad Do You Want It? How Bad Do You Want Righteousness? But first, we've got, to, we've got to do some other moves. And so first, we've got to make the move of definition. And the first of these words that we have to define is, drumroll please, righteousness. Paul is great. But sometimes, like in this case, Paul makes things a little bit complicated. He's still right all the time by the guidance of the Holy Spirit. But sometimes he makes things more complicated. Nowhere is that more true than in the definition of the word righteousness. Sometimes biblical authors use the same word in different ways, and this is one of those examples. So righteousness in the Bible means three things. Right living, right relationship, and right standing. Now those first two are Jesus. The last one is Paul. And the last one is often... However, the primary sense that we think about righteousness, this is the righteousness of justification. So this is what we, what we read earlier, that, that when we place our faith in Christ, God forgives us our sins and deems us righteous. That is, he declares us to be righteous. And all of that is true and a joy. Think back to the catechism. It's often the only way that we think about righteousness, though. And that will not be the case today. And not so with Jesus. Some of us especially uh, especially the Protestants among us, have come to think of righteousness as a state. And in a sense it is, but, they, but if that's our only definition, then this beatitude doesn't make any sense. How am I supposed to hunger and thirst after a state? Christians already have it. 
But if we look through the scriptures and see examples of righteousness, the question is, are you all of those things? When you see the examples and commands about right living and about right relationships with with one another and with God, when you see those things, do you perfectly exemplify all of those things? I expect to hear an emphatic no from, there we go, there we go, beloved. Now, the question is, how do you feel about that? Some of us have been told that when we see that inadequacy, just rest in the fact that Jesus did it for us. And that sounds good. It sounds Christian. But here's the issue. I think some of us, I think some of us rightly believe that, rightly believe and know that Christ died for us and took the penalty for our sins so that we don't have to face that justice. But unconsciously, that can also translate to thinking, Christ also lived the perfect life, so I don't have to try. And so we think that, that the relentless pursuit of a righteous life is moralism or works righteousness. And it's not. <laughs> and I'm sorry because this is, this is something that's especially frustrating to me because that was a message that I was told. But to the contrary, Jesus has actually called us to live righteous lives. We're told in the scriptures constantly, by the Spirit, relentlessly put sin to death. See, when Jesus refers to righteousness, he means it in the common sense. That is, in the sense that everyone who heard the word in the first century understood it. The sense that means this, justice, doing the right thing in in thought, word, and in deed, living right, living in right relationship with your neighbor, living in right relationship with God. It means doing what the Lord says when he talks about sex. It means doing what the Lord says when he talks about care for the poor and the needy. It means doing what the Lord says when he talks about economics. It means doing what the Lord says when he talks about forgiveness. It means doing what the Lord says when he talks about justice for the marginalized. It means doing what the Lord says when he talks about anything. That's that's righteousness. That's, that's righteousness according to the scriptures. And the question posed by Jesus in this beatitude is, what is your orientation toward that righteousness? Do you want it? And if so, how badly do you want it? See, the use of, the use of hunger and thirst are really, really important in this text because hunger and thirst are two of our most, our most primal and bodily desires and they're the most painful when they go unfulfilled. If you don't eat, you die. If you don't, if you don't hydrate, you die. And, and to die of starvation or of thirst are horrific ways to die. For you all, I did a, I did a deep dive into the starvation response. Like medically, not like starving myself, but, 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 but medically. Did you know that starvation has three stages? The first is what you feel. Something that is common to human experience. What you, what you feel when you, when, oh, 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 when you skip a meal or two. Your body responds, your liver produces glucose, and, 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 and it can do that for a while before it starts to break down fat. But then after those fat stores are gone, it starts to break down muscle. And at that point, what, what, your, what, your, what your body goes through, it's like, a, it's like a snowball rolling downhill that becomes an avalanche. Your, your body temporarily loses the ability to process certain foods. Your, your wounds don't heal as quickly. You get, you get weak. You get, you get fatigued. Your, your immune system breaks down. And it gets to a point where even eating can kill you at that point. It's called refeeding syndrome. 
If someone's been malnourished for a while, they can't go straight into just kind of giant meals. They need, they need rest, they need warmth, they need food gradually, often in small doses. At some, at some points, doctors may have to give you an IV. It's complicated stuff. In short, you have to eat. Dehydration is also horrific. First symptoms are headaches and leg cramps, but then it gets to the point where, where even drinking, even drinking water won't save you. There's an example. Uh, if you know the story of a man named Mauro Prosperi. So this guy is an ultra marathon runner, and he decides to do a marathon through the Sahara Desert. Could never be me. <laughs> never. First of all, never do, can do, I'm just probably not gonna do an ultra marathon, but through the Sahara Desert. Running through the desert, and a sandstorm picks up. So he takes shelter, and when he emerges from, from, from shelter, the sandstorm has wiped away the trail. So he runs for another four hours, gets to the top of a large dune, looks around, and can't see anybody. He's stuck. This is a terrifying story. This man, this man had to drink his own urine, lick dew off of rocks, suck on wet wipes, and drink bat blood in order to survive. This was nine days. When, they, when, they, when, when, when he was found, he, did, he didn't recognize himself. He looked like a skeleton. Brothers and sisters, there are hundreds of millions of people around the world at risk of dehydration and starvation. The UN projects that by 2030, almost 600 million people in the world will be chronically undernourished. And we know that often with poverty comes hunger, food insecurity. There are, there are numerous pockets of Waco that are food deserts where if you don't have transportation, you don't have access to nutritious food. Now, why would I go on about hunger? Isn't, isn't Jesus talking about righteousness? Isn't this off topic? No, it's not. Jesus also has Beatitudes in Luke 6. And in Luke 6, 21, Jesus says, Blessed are you who hunger now for you will be satisfied. The image of hunger is both a spiritual and a literal image. Hunger is something that is common to the human experience, different, different levels of intensity. But every single person in this, in this room, unless you have a particular pathology, has, ex has experienced hunger. And that literal feeling of hunger is supposed to help us understand the spiritual reality that Christ is calling us to seek and to live. Because, because what Jesus is saying is that the blessed one, the one who has been blessed by God, is the one who sees righteousness like food. The blessed one is the one who sees obedience to God like a thirsty person sees water, or like a hungry person might see a 16-ounce ribeye with garlic butter and four cheese macaroni and cheese with bacon and, and sautéed spinach. Maybe that's just how I would see those. I just, I just. But, but here's the thing. We, we, there, there are other things that we're hungry for. Some of us are hungry for approval. We'll do whatever it takes for people to like us. And when people don't like us, there's this, there's this pit in our stomach. There's this craving that needs to be met. The scriptures call that people-pleasing. Or one of my favorite words, vainglory. Empty glory. Some of us are hungry for wealth. 
What wakes us up in the morning is the grind and the hustle and domination of the grind. Another, another day, another dollar, and with more dollars comes more freedom. More dollars to do what I want. The scriptures call that greed. Some of us are hungry for achievement and success. What, what wakes us up in the morning is doing things well and being recognized for doing those things well. As long as I'm climbing the ladder of achievement, my life has meaning. As long as I'm climbing the ladder of promotions and power, my life has meaning. As long as I'm climbing the ladder of degrees, my life has meaning. The scriptures call this selfish ambition. With each of these pursuits, there's really only one option. And it's being miserable. I was, at first I was going to say, you can, like, you, can, you can either be miserable or you can be done. But, 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 the, but, the, but, but the fact is, with, with, with vainglory, greed, and selfish ambition, you're never going to be satisfied because each of those things makes you more hungry and less satisfied. If you want more money just for the sake of more money, well, there's always more money to want. There are always more people to please, more, more ladders to climb. But on the way, there are going to be people you disappoint, and there are going to be people you step on. And none of that is good. But that describes much of our hunger. Jesus is telling us that the blessed life is different. The blessed one hungers and thirsts for righteousness. The blessed one will do whatever it takes to be just and to seek justice. The blessed one in, in, in their relationships with their family, with their friends, with their neighbors, with their brothers, sisters, they seek to be righteous in, and pleasing to God in all of those interactions. The blessed one looks out to the world, sees a world of rampant injustice and oppression, and asks the Lord, how would you have me be just in this world? The blessed one runs their thoughts and their deeds through the sieve of the Lord's will constantly because they know that true food is doing the will of God. The blessed one sees the hungry and feeds them if she has the resources. The blessed one sees the prisoner and visits them. The blessed one sees those without a home and houses them if she has the resources. The blessed one sees the sick and treats them if she has the resources. The blessed one sees the thirsty and gives them a cup of water if he has one. The blessed one sees the oppressed and sets them free, sees the abused and gets them out, sees the orphan and gives them love. The blessed one is the one who will do whatever it takes for righteousness. And as with every single one of these beatitudes, we know that this is the blessed life because this is Christ's life. When he was tempted in, in the wilderness, in the chapter that comes right before the beatitudes, we're told that he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and, uh, and the text says that he was hungry. Yeah, that, that sounds about right. And yet, when the, and yet when the devil came to him with temptations of food, of vainglory, of greed, and of selfish ambition, he refused each one with the word because he had a hunger that was greater than his hunger for food. He was hungry for righteousness. See, when the Son of God lived his life, he did so with a hunger for righteousness. When he, when he saw the sick, he wanted to heal them, and he did. When he saw his disciples hungry, he wanted to feed them, and he did. And as a matter of fact, the very act of the Son of God taking on flesh was an expression of a hunger for righteousness, God's desire to make things right as God is right. There's a wonderful story. This is probably like my favorite my favorite narrative in the Gospels, because it's hilarious to me. John 4, when, when so, so, so it begins with a, 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 
the disciples go off to find food. And so Jesus is by himself. And so he goes to talk to this Samaritan woman at a well. They have this conversation. It's a wonderful conversation. And then the, and then the disciples come back. And first of all, they're really confused that he's like talking to a woman alone. It's apparently scandalous. They're like, oh gosh, what's he, what's he doing? But they don't say anything about it. What they, what they say to Jesus is, hey, uh, hey Jesus, why don't, you, why don't you take some food? And Jesus' response is, I have food that you know nothing about. And the disciples are rightfully confused. They're like, what do you, did somebody give him like a sandwich or something? Like, is it? To which Jesus responds and says, my food is to do the will of my father and to complete his work. I just imagine the disciples were bothered by that. It's like, we're, we're just trying to have a normal conversation, Jesus. All we want to know is whether you've eaten. Sent us out to get food. Like, this, 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 this is a very simple question. But, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. That is what hunger, that is what a single-minded hunger for righteousness looks like. Where you would describe doing the will of God as food, nourishment for you. By going to the cross, Jesus was the prime example of this hunger for righteousness. Two weeks ago, Tom preached on Christ's meekness in the Garden of Gethsemane. But there's a, there's a lot going on in that garden. And one of those things is a hunger for righteousness. A hunger not only for his own righteousness, but for our righteousness. Because, because as the blessed one, he, he wanted all of us to be blessed with him. And so, so as he's contemplating this path that he's about to walk, he prayed three times in the garden. He said, my father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Whatever it takes, may your will be done. If that means I have to die by crucifixion, may your will be done. Now, hunger and thirst are bad ways to die. Crucifixion is a pretty bad way to die. And yet, because, because Christ loves you, and because he wants you to live the blessed life, he lived and died and was raised in order that you and I, through faith in him, might receive the Holy Spirit and actually be able to hunger and thirst for righteousness. To actually live, to actually want to live the life that Jesus lived, to be as unrelenting as our Savior in our desire for right thinking, right action, and right relationship. So then, who are these blessed people in this beatitude? They are the ones who will stop at nothing for justice. The ones who, when they recognize their own sinful thoughts and deeds, will do whatever it takes to resist them or, in the case of some, flee from them. So there's, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is, I think, one of, the, this is one of the most interesting things about these particular sins that you see in the Scripture. Do you know that there are, there are three particular sins that the Scriptures tell us not to resist? 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body, but whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. 1 Corinthians 10, 14, therefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. And the 1 Timothy one I want to read in its entirety. This is 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 11a. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. 
Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man or woman of God, flee from all this and pursue, you guessed it, righteousness. It's so fascinating that the scriptures say flee from sexual immorality, idolatry, and greed, and run toward righteousness. I think one of the things that Paul's saying in these texts is these, these particular things are insidious. These particular things are, are the kind of one thing leads to another kind of sins. And so this is not, the, this is not a stand and fight situation. This is a turn and run situation. And yet, brothers and sisters, these are often things that we are hungry for. These are things that we must confess to the Lord, put them away, and turn toward the righteousness of God that comes from God. Why? Because of the second half of the Beatitude, a promise from God. Which means, if it's a promise from God, this is the thing about promises from God. If it's, a, if it's a promise from God, it is something that I can be utterly and completely confident in. Completely and utterly confident that this is something that is going to happen as sure as I am that the sun will rise. And as a matter of fact, I can be even more sure of that because the sun's ultimately going to die out. The Lord will not. Remember the beatitude. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be, do you remember? filled they will be filled not just not just they'll be fed not just they'll be given water not just they'll get crumbs and they'll just be happy with what they get no they will feast not they'll get a sip of water and be happy with it they will drink deep of crystal clear refreshing water or in my case the sweetest of sweet tea they will be satisfied they will have everything they need, and because they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will have everything that they want. See, Jesus in Luke 6.25 says, Woe to you who are well fed now, for you will go hungry. That is, woe to you who have fattened yourselves by oppression and exploitation. Woe to you who have no regard for the poor and the oppressed. Woe to you who sit in your mansion satiated while people go hungry on the street. Woe to you who have no compassion or pity for the suffering. Woe, curses, because while you may be in good shape now, when the Lord asks you what you did for the needy, you will be found wanting, and then you will know what hunger is in the final judgment. Your vainglory will be useless when there is no one around to praise you. Your greed will be revealed as toxic when you find that you can't take your money and your possessions with you and you could lose them at any moment. Your selfish ambition will be revealed as fleeting when you lose that job or that position and are left with a shattered identity. But there is another way, the way of Christ. If we want to hunger for something, Christ is telling us hunger for righteousness, hunger for personal, social, and cosmic righteousness. Brothers and sisters, each of these Beatitudes describes a central element of Christian identity, and this one 
describes the fact that the Christian does not settle when it comes to righteousness. The Christian hungers for it. The follower of Christ deeply wants to love their neighbor and their God as much as he or she wants to eat when they're hungry. We want our thoughts, our words, our deeds to be uplifting and pleasing to God. And God tells us over and over again that if that's what we truly want, then that's what we're going to get. William, William Barclay, a Scottish, Scottish minister, in reflecting on this beatitude, he has this great summary. This is what he says. He says, this beatitude lays down the main cause of failure in the Christian life. That cause of failure is simply that we do not sufficiently desire to be a Christian. It's an experience of life that if we desire a thing sufficiently, we'll get it. If we're, if we're prepared to bend every energy, to sacrifice everything, to toil with sufficient intensity, to wait with sufficient patience, we will succeed in getting that on which we have set our hearts. The great barrier to our becoming fully Christian is our failure to desire it enough, our deep-rooted unwillingness to pay the price of it, our fundamental desire not to upset life, but to keep it as it is. End quote. Is righteousness a thing that you will literally do anything for? Is righteousness the kind of thing that I, that I, I, I will seek to do whatever it takes to give up this habit or whatever as if I recognize that it is taking me away from the Lord? If so, then Christ's commands will never be met with an I can't or a that requires too much of me. Because what that reveals is that there are things that we hunger for more than righteousness. So the first step is going to be to recognize that. Turn from that thing and, and tell the Lord, cultivate in me a desire for righteousness, for justice. This is what repentance is. And I promise you, promise you, with eyes wide open and with full faith, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, the Lord will give it to you. That's what he said. And if there's one thing that the Lord wants for you, he wants, you to be, he wants you to be fat with righteousness. Fat with it. The filled in the beatitude comes from the word used for feeding animals. Fattening up cattle. Last New Year's I preached on, on, on Romans 12, 2, that we offer our bodies up to God as a living sacrifice. And that sacrifice is well received when it's, when it's got a little meat on its bones. We want to be large with the righteousness that the Lord has promised to give us if we're hungry for it. This year, brothers and sisters, I pray that you and I would be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. That each day we would ask the Lord, how can I think rightly today? By your spirit, how can I lift someone up with my words today? How can I lift someone up with my deeds and my resources today? How can I bear witness to your love in the world today? Who can I feed? Who can I clothe? Who needs justice? Who needs righteousness? Every morning, every moment suffused with these desires. This is what hunger and thirst for righteousness look like. And obviously we're going to stumble along the way. But that's why the beatitude is phrased the way that it is. It's not blessed are the righteous and the perfect because they're awesome. The Sermon on Perfection is coming in a few months. The beatitude says that the ones who hunger and thirst for righteousness are already blessed because it's the Lord who's placed in them that desire and it's the Lord who has promised to fulfill that desire. 
That's the secret of true contentment. That's the secret of true joy. Repent and believe the good news that Christ saved you so that you can be hungry. May 2024 be a year of hunger and thirst. Let's pray.